You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Yes, and you are listening to 103.9 the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. No, this is not Errol Marks. It's more pleasantry. Like a cup of tea, as they say. I'm Josh Silberg. Been a while since I've done the Weekend Crunch. Love coming back. Love helping out for sure. Absolutely always enjoy it. Have a lot to get to. But of course, I had to welcome in one of my good buddies. A uh, guy that I love partnering with whenever I get the opportunity to. That's Mr. Speedy Petey. How are you, sir? Well, good to be back on the show with you again. First time in over a year that you've been on the 103.9 LA News Radio Network. Uh, it is not a good time as those Mets fans having to deal with what they have to deal with in Game 1. But hopefully you enjoy Game 2. I'll be going to Boston. I'm actually visiting my brother up there and some of my brother's friends for sure absolutely and we can talk about the yankees they don't have an opponent right now so there's really nothing to preview right now game one is going to be tuesday so to me when i look at how the yankees will fare depending on who they play which is either going to be the cleveland guardians who won game one and then you have the Tampa Bay rays who have been a thorn in the yankee side for the last couple of years but the yankees have the buy right now they get a nice buy they get some rest rinse repeat if you saw garrett cole's lovely motivational speech on twitter it was riveting i got so excited i wanted to run through a wall for that man i'm not even joking it was insane it had me thinking about that wants me to just get up in the morning every day go to work and just feel excited no, I'm just kidding. I don't even know what it was. I was like, what are we doing? But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let Speedy go first because Speedy knows I'm going to go off on a tangent. Now, Speedy's a Met fan too, but Speedy knows. Now, Speedy loves all of his sports teams. I would say probably his favorite's favorite sports teams out of all of his teams is probably, I would say, the Giants. Yeah, but since they've already won, the next I would probably want to win a championship now is probably the Mets, maybe the Rangers. And for me, it's always the Mets are number one. The Mets are my thick and thin go-to diehard. For me, I live and die with the Mets. Felt like more death than living recently. But what are your thoughts after that debacle of a game one? one that we saw. Well, it definitely looked like Max Scherzer was a little too reliant on his slider when he wasn't using the other pitches as much. I know his cutter has been a big one for him this year, and really he did not have that. He kept overusing his slider as a result on the first home run to Josh Bell. I didn't like that he threw back-to-back pitches the same location. As good of a pitcher as Max Scherzer is, I've always been just a guy that's always nitpicked sequencing. Confusing guys. Yes, your stuff is overpowering. That doesn't mean you have to try to be predictable. Josh Bell's a good hitter. He can track that kind of thing. He ended up hitting a home run, then Trent Grisham hit a home run too. Then the Profar too. The, the three-run homer just stayed fair. That wasn't the worst pitch, but it definitely was not good either and definitely was not ideal for what Max Scherzer was. The Mets offense, they had some good hard contact in that first inning, but still really not much to show for it beyond that off of you, Darvish, who's been kind of up and down in the playoffs in the past. He had some good stretches with the Dodgers, but he also had the bomb in the World Series for the Dodgers. Then he had a good stretch with the Cubs the one year they made the postseason, but it's kind of up and down for the most part, and the Mets really could not take advantage of it. This offense has been very inconsistent in the month of September, and you definitely saw that in certain games down the stretch, also games against bad teams down the stretch, which, granted, was the weakness for the Padres, too, but the Padres kind of got out of that funk in September, and they played not great, but middling enough where it wasn't as much of a big concern, and you definitely saw the Padres wake up right away in this game and really track what is a very predictable, surprisingly, Max Scherzer. I am beyond disappointed. I'm livid, furious, angry, frustrated, annoyed. Here's step number one, problem number 
one. Max Scherzer's hurt. That is a given because the guy didn't even throw his cutter. He has not been healthy since he went back on the IL again. And that's the risk you take in signing a 37-year-old pitcher. Granted, it was the right move. He was in a mitigated disaster. He was not good in Atlanta. That's two big starts in a row that he's had where he's flopped with this mega deal. Number two, Jacob deGrom is hurt in my eyes. The guy has no command of his slider. He has no command of any of his pitches right now. The start in Oakland was a disgrace, yeah. and it was a joke. And honestly, the Mets could have went up to Atlanta up two games, but instead they went up one, and that loss killed them. Number three, whether they won the division or they got the wild card, which they did, even if they won the division and they had the play, either it would have been the Phillies or the Cardinals. If Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom are not healthy, this team is not winning a thing. And now I'm going to the game, and what's even more frustrating is when they're down 7 nothing, they decide to string hits together. When they had runners in third with one out in the first, Alonzo struck out, Vogelback popped up because Vogelback doesn't take the bat off his shoulder. The second inning, where they have a runner on third, one out, Escobar strikes out, Nito flies out. And that's when you knew where this game was going to go. Once Grisham hit the home run, I said it's done. I mean, why even bother? Trevor May came in here, no problem, and did two innings to score this innings. This team, down the stretch has looked feeble, defeated, streaky, inconsistent. And if this team does not get even past the wild card round at 101 wins, it is a epic failure for this baseball season. It is a failure. And this is what happens when teams don't develop players in the farm system because you're stuck signing a 37-year-old and you're stuck signing a 35-year-old and a 34-year-old and a long elegated season, this is what's going to happen to an older team. And you could think whether it's the Wopons, Sandy Alderson for some of his players being okay and some not. You could think Brody Van Wagenen for trading away players, be it as it may. The frustrating thing, too, is when you see the Braves call up Michael Harris, Vaughn Grisham, Spencer Strider, and those guys go boom, 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 instantly impact. And I got Brett Beatty, who can't hit a lick, and they put Alvarez in a miserable spot. It was so unfair to the kid. And you have Mark Vientos, who everybody was crying to bring him up. And they've brought him up. And he's been a disaster since coming up. Go on to the trade deadline. And I get it. There has not been a single batter that's been traded that has made an impact on their team, at least during the regular season. You can honestly make the case that Daniel Vogelback was the best bat acquired the deadline. The best pitcher that was acquired the deadline was Rysel Iglesias. But nobody saw Iglesias who had near a five-year-old with the Angels have like a sub two ERA with the Braves. Well, everyone pitches bad on the Angels. We could go to the trade deadline, how awful of a job Billy Epler did, getting Darren Ruff, Michael Givens, who actually had been pitching well before he got COVID and had a really bad case of it. But the truth of the matter is this. There's a couple of things the Mets need to figure out. I'm now under the impression I don't think the Mets are even beating the Padres now, and I thought they'd win these two games. I don't even think they'd be in the Padres, and they're going to get swept, and it's embarrassing. The Mets have a lot to think about this offseason. Now, the Givens, I think, no pun intended, by the way, I think are going to be back. I think Edwin Diaz will be back, and I think Chris Bassett will be back. 
I think Brandon Nimmo is going to walk. I think he's going to ask for a ridiculous contract. Scott Boris has his agent. Yeah, that'll do it. He's going to be gone. Boy, I'm telling you right now, I would let Jacob DeGrom walk. Let him go. If you sign this guy to more than three years, you are putting yourself in a black hole financially. Because this guy hasn't been healthy in three seasons. And so far since he's come back this year, he's had two unbelievable starts. And the rest were just not great. Minus the Brave start, which he wasn't terrible, but wasn't great. He's been not great against bad teams. The Cubs and the Athletics. Going into game two with him in a must win at home. And if he stinks up the joint... You can say goodbye to DeGrom because he will not be back with this franchise. What do the Mets do in the offseason to fix things? They don't have any arms coming up in the farm system anytime soon. They drafted Blade to well, who's good. They have Calvin Ziegler. He's good. Matt Allen has a pitch in three years. So the problem with that is you're going to have to go the free agent or the trade route again. You could go Carlos Rodon, who would be really nice. You could substitute DeGrom and bring in Verlander. But Verlander's been hurt in the last year or so. Want to go that route? Right, same risk. This team needs a bopper in the lineup. They need a power bat in the lineup because Alonzo, to me, is inconsistent. And I'm so tired of people telling me, oh, I think maybe the Mets should sign this guy and trade Alonzo. Listen, the Mets are not trading Pete Alonzo. You need to get off that. They're going to add to that. Now, I would like it if my shortstop and my first baseman weren't so inconsistent at times. That would be nice. Are the Mets going to go after Aaron Judge? They will have interest in Aaron Judge. I think they'll be in the market for Aaron Judge. I think Judge is going to the Giants. I don't think he's going back to the Yankees. There's a certain guy that I think can be had, and it's going to be sounding crazy. It's going to sound nuts. But this guy has a contract affordable to the Mets and to the Mets only. He's a center fielder. He's a bopper. And he's somebody that can thrive. He's an East Coast guy. And he's on the ages. I'm not talking about Shohei Otani. I'm training for Mike Trout. I'm making a game-changing move. Fix this. I'm very curious what Steve Cohen's going to think after this season. Clearly, there's going to be a new president of baseball operations. Alderson making that announcement a few weeks ago clearly means that they already have somebody in place and agreed to already. That's why the announcement came when it came. It didn't come at the end of the year, at the exit meet. It came when it came, which was random in all, at the end of August. My guess for president of baseball operations is probably going to be David Stearns from Milwaukee. Now, the only way Stearns gets out of that contract is if the Brewers won the World Series. Here's the deal. What I've heard is that the owner is not happy with Stearns after that trade deadline. So I think this is set up for Stearns to be let go. If Stearns really wanted to help the Mets, he would have traded him to Hater for a bag of balls. That would have been <laughs> nice. But I think it's one of two guys. It's either going to be David Stearns or it's going to be Brian Cashman. Those are the two guys that I think are going to be the finalists for this job. I think it's going to be Stearns. I think Cashman stays with the Yankees. Yeah, it is. Sir. They need to reassess. How did we win 101 games and lose in the wild card round? If we lose, how did that happen? What went wrong? What did we do? How do we fix it? Reality is you have an older team. And I'm going to call Buck out on certain things. I think Buck managed the month of September really poorly in certain games. The Friday night Atlanta game was an absolute disgrace. To put a young rookie in Alvarez in that spot, when you add Vogel back up and Jansen couldn't throw a strike and Vogel back doesn't swing, perfect matchup. And he left that kid out to dry. And it was so unfair. And Bucks had a great year. Bucks going to win National League Manager of the Year. Congratulations. They're going to be a constant playoff team every year. This is going to be the new norm for them. Can they get over the hump? Is this going to be like a Dodger situation where you make the playoffs every single year and you don't win big games? Because Mets fans need to get used to this. This team is going to make the playoffs every season going forward. Everybody was calling me a Debbie Downer 
the last week. My brother called me a Debbie Downer. My sister-in-law was calling me a Debbie Downer. My dad was calling me a Debbie Downer. My coworker at work was calling me a Debbie Downer. And right before game one, I was so positive. I said, the Mets are going to win both these games. Scherzer's going to be back to normal. They're going to use Bassett in game two. DeGrom's going to be ready for the Dodgers series. And this is why. This is what happens. And then Errol says I'm too negative all the time. This is why. Because I watch this. I watch it with the Jets. I watch it with the Rangers. I watch it with the Knicks. I watch it with Wisconsin sports. It's the same thing. Now, Speedy, you've seen the Giants win Super Bowls. I've never seen a team of mine win a championship. You know how difficult that is to watch and witness? I've seen my teams in championships and lose. Speedy's gotten to see his team win two Super Bowls. Errol's gotten to see the Yankees win championships galore. I have never seen a team of mine win a championship, ever. I'm 31. I'm going to be 32 next year. You realize that? It's draining and it's mind-boggling that everybody always calls me Mr. Negative. But this is why. And I don't want a pity party. I don't want anybody to say, I'm oh, too bad. I don't want that crap. I don't want any of that garbage. Don't want it. Care for it. The reality is this. This, to me, is going to be the most interesting offseason the New York Mets have had in a very long time. Because they need to figure out what went right, what went wrong. And I can tell you, it went wrong at the worst time possible. I don't think Scherzer's healthy. That's why he's not using his cutter. DeGrom is definitely not healthy. He has no control of his slider. The bullpen is not great, minus Diaz. You want to give Adovino credit? Fine. Their lineup is too inconsistent. I trust McNeil. I trust Marte. Lindor had an unbelievable season. Alonzo had an unbelievable season. Here's the reality. McNeil showed up in Atlanta. Marte has been out for a month. He showed up in game one against the Padres. Nobody else did. And to me, that's the most disappointing thing. Escobar showed up too, by the way. Those are the only three. Canna, garbage. Nimmo, inconsistent. Lindor, no-showed Atlanta. Alonzo, no-showed Atlanta. Hasn't shown up in game one. Lindor, no-showed in game one. Scherzer, disaster. You want to blame Buck for some things? Fine. Sorry to tell you this. Scherzer said he was good to go. You're going to listen to Max Scherzer. If Max Scherzer says he's good to go, you're going to listen. He's the pro. So if you want to blame Buck on this, it's not all him. Max should have told him, I'm not fully there. Would the fans have been upset? 100%. Dude, I would have went with Taiwan Walker then. Because Taiwan Walker's been healthy. Bassett's been healthy. Scherzer and DeGrom, not healthy. I'm disappointed. And yes, I do believe there's a God. And I think God hates the Mets. Let's get into a little bit of Aaron Judge. He broke the record, finally got the schneid off his back. Did it in Texas. Roger Maris Jr. was probably thrilled he didn't have to travel anymore. <laughs> to me, it's not a big story outside of New York. People were actually up in arms that they kept breaking into the college games for the judge at bats. Because the truth of the matter is, is that it's an amazing accomplishment. And congrats to Aaron Judge. It's an unbelievable season. How I look at it as, I'm sorry, the history books are written. Whether he cheated or not, Barry Bonds has 73 home runs. And he admits that, too. Of course! He knows it's the American League record. It's not the Major League yeah, record. Yeah, Judge knows. Judge isn't stupid. It is still one of the most complete seasons overall of anybody. Of course. 62 Absolutely. home runs. Uh, near triple crown. Just missed out on that. 311 batting average. But an OPS of 1.1111. Exactly. 60 stolen bases. A good center field, 131 RBIs. It's one of the most complete seasons ever. So definitely should be, especially in today's game where there's not a lot of 50 home run seasons, nevertheless 60 home run seasons, definitely should be congratulated for sure. No, for sure. Absolutely. And congratulations to him. And they get the off time and they wait for Cleveland or they wait for Tampa. That's where we are with that. When we come back, bring you into some football conversation. The show doesn't have to get more depressing because funny enough, we have two local teams here that are actually playing decent football which is crazy to think about. So we'll get right into that right here on 103.9, the LA News Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. Hey. 
are back here on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am hosting this week, filling in for Errol Marks. That is great, Josh Silverberg, as always. I know you all have missed me, but it's okay. I'm here this week. And, of course, my co-host, my Padre, my good friend, Speedy Petey. And, Speedy, who would have thought we are in October? And we got some competitive football teams that came out of left field. And we'll start with the Giants first because they have the earlier game. Speedy's going to have to get up early for that. I know he hates Yeah, that. I'll be hanging out somewhere with my brother in Boston. So we'll be up anyway. At 9.30 in the morning. We'll be up at some hangout spot. I'm up anyway. I have my son. I mentioned earlier I'll be at game two, Mets Padres. So depending on how late that game ends and what time I get home from that game really depends on the structure of the time of when the Mets and the Padres are finished. It will be a very long night. Last time the Giants... Giants played in London. I was in college. It was 2016. It was a game against the Rams. This is before the Rams were good offensively. So it was a literal snooze fest. Trying to was stay that away. the LA Rams? It was the, the first Rams. year in LA. It was Jeff Fisher's oh, Jeff Fisher. last okay. year with the Rams and Jared gotcha. Goff's rookie year. Oh, yeah, that was a fun time. Right, Jeff Fisher was great. And the Jets were there last year where their season went down the toilet after they lost <laughs> to Atlanta when everybody was picking them that week. But we'll begin with the Giants. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. First off, Landon Collins is back. Who would have thought that was going to happen. He'll help in some capacity in the safety position. I don't know how much he really has left. The thing about Collins is, to me, I always found Collins never to be like the greatest coverage safety guy. He was a very good tackler, good blitzer. Washington gave him that contract. People were like, what? Yeah. What are you doing? It's I like mean, classic Dan goes, Snyder well, overpaying defensive players. That's what he does. Albert Hainsworth, no Kadarius Tony, didn't make the trip. No Kenny Galladay. I'm amazed how Ross Heller made the trip. I mean, the guy had a concussion. He's going on a plane ride to London. I don't know if that was the brightest thing to do in the <laughs> NFL, but I don't know what to expect with the NFL anymore and what their thoughts are on concussion protocol symptoms. But Giants are 3-1 and one right now, beating a Tennessee team that's down. They've beaten a Carolina team that's not great. They've beaten Chicago, who is horrid to watch. Apparently, Justin Fields doesn't think his fans work hard enough to be saviors there. And they lost to a Cooper Rush-led Cowboys team at uh-huh. or as I call it, the big tuna fish can, because that's essentially what it looks like. It's gross. I don't understand how you have that much money to invest in a stadium, and that's what you come up with. It's ridiculous. I drove past the Raiders stadium in May during Memorial Day weekend. It was beautiful. And I go to MetLife Stadium, and I go, oh, this is garbage. <laughs> Beat as in May. The Giants are 3-1. and one. They're playing tough. Daniel Jones is coming in hobbling with the ankle. I'm wondering if Brian Dable even remembers that he has an ankle injury because that press conference was weird the other day when he had to read it off the script. What are your initial thoughts on this giant team so far being three and one? Because to me, I think it's going to be very tough. They're not as good as the Eagles. Eagles to me are really looking like a contender this year. Jalen Hurts is taking that next stride and Cowboys keep winning and Dak gets back. That's going to help them. Where are you with the Giants at this point? Yeah, there's a lot of flaws with this Giants team still and came into the season as a roster that was probably bottom eight in the league and the deficiencies are definitely being known now, especially with the wider seed injuries. Sterling Shepard being out for the year. Wondell Robinson hasn't been playing since the first game. Kadarius Tony hasn't played much of two snaps in the first game this year. The defense is really going to have to carry the load. You mentioned Landon Collins. Landon Collins, yes, not the greatest coverage guy. I think he's a better zone coverage, shorter coverage guy, but in man coverage, he's not very good at all. When James Betcher became the defensive coordinator in the Giants in 2018, you saw Landon Collins' weakness really get exposed there, and since then has not been the same. The pass rushers are a little healthier now, but still no Leonard Williams. Like you mentioned, what quarterback player are you going to get. You're going to get Tyrod Taylor, Travis
traveling with a concussion. You got Daniel Jones already with a multitude of injuries so far. They've worked out Jake Fromm to be Yay. a third-string quarterback. Colt McCoy was the other one I think they were working out oh, too God. as well. Play one snap and it'll get hurt. Did play well with the Giants down the stretch in 2020 with that awful coaching stuff. And they're playing against a Packers team that has a very good defense, so that's going to be very hard. They've been a little down against the run from where they were last year, so if the Giants are going to win this game, it's going to be all on Saquon, but Saquon's been kind of inconsistent too after that big week one performance against the Titans, so not optimistic with the Giants. In terms of a long-term trajectory, yeah, the Eagles and Cowboys should still be thought of as favorites in that division. The Eagles are the best team, most complete team in the NFL right now. And Dallas is weathering the storm with that defense led by Micah Parsons. They've gotten Demarcus Lawrence back to the form he was before he got his big contract. I don't know if I still trust him as a playoff team with the NFC West having a lot of talented teams, and I think the Packers and Vikings will both make it, so. Something that's been talked about a lot. Say, for example, like a team like the Buffalo Bills, who desperately need a running back, call the Giants and say, we want Saquon Barkley. Do you make that trade? You can't sign the guy long-term because they're in a massive first year of this rebuild and he's a running back. I get that way of thinking because the Giants are still in that rebuild mode and they have to get younger all at once. And being that Dave Gettleman strapped him with so many bad contracts, Kenny Galladay being the worst of them, being the highest paid wide receiver this year, and Leonard Williams, the Giants might not have that choice right now because, yeah, they're not a running back away from being a Super Bowl contender. Again, being how weak the NFC has been, they might squeak in, but what does that really mean? Oddly enough, like the Bills in 2017, had that surprise playoff appearance when they got the wild card at 9-7 and seven because the Ravens Was that the choked. one when they lost to Houston? They lost to Jacksonville. Buffalo wasn't supposed to make the playoffs that year. They were sticking with the rebuild process. It was McDermott and Bean's first year, and they still traded off some other veteran pieces. That was Taylor as the quarterback that yep, year. Yep, Taylor was the quarterback. Josh Allen yeah. was drafted the next year. So that same regime, Joe Shane coming from the Bills, Brian Dable coming from the Bills, I expect the Giants to be able to do the same if the value is right. Now, if Saquon has down games or still more injury issues, maybe it's better to hang on, try to get a fifth-year <laughs> option, and then maybe trade him in that case or sign him if he plays better that year. But as of right now, yeah, I'm not ruling out the idea because we've seen teams try to overreact to rebuilding, and sometimes it doesn't work, a.k.a. Dave Gettleman. I know Giant fans are excited, and they have every right to be excited. It's been a long time since they've seen a competitive team on the field between Joe Judge, Pat Shermer, Ben McAdoo. Dave Gettleman really put this team in a hold. Joe Shane and Brian Dable are going to do this together. They're in this together. When you look at how the Giants are going to do this, they're going to follow that blueprint of we need to put guys around the quarterback, but at the same time, we need to draft the quarterback first, which is what Buffalo did. They drafted Josh Allen first. They had some pieces that worked, but then they traded for Stefan Diggs. Giant fans have to be patient. They're not getting a wild card seed this year. They may. I don't see it. At some point, the Rams are going to fix themselves yeah. out. Warners, I think, will fix themselves too. They did last year. The Seahawks are in nothing. I don't care what Geno Smith is doing. Yeah. Let's stop. I'm not running back. That's not nice. Hey, so I'll play Russell Wilson this year so far. <laughs> that debauchery of a game. Embarrassing and abysmal and as Tom Brady said earlier in the week been a lot of bad football played this year so far. He's not wrong. Including from his own offense. To be fair, he does have a lot of injuries and guys retiring on him <laughs> left and right. Plus his entire offensive line is down. People that weren't worried about the interior offense. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. look, especially when Jensen got hurt, massive loss for them. But yeah. now we move on to the New York Jets who I am never positive about the New York Jets. One of the most negative people towards them. I take the New York Jets, if they're great or they're good, it's a nice surprise. If they're bad, I say I told you so. So far it seems to have worked out they're two and two. Their two wins came back one. Their two losses 
non-competitive. If Joe Flacco was the quarterback against Pittsburgh on Sunday, they lose 35 to 10. They're not scoring more than 10 points in that game. He doesn't move in the pocket. Flacco, Zach Wilson made a lot of plays happen. Did he look good in the beginning? No, not really. But again, he didn't play all preseason in the first three weeks of the season. When you do that, you're basically throwing this kid into the fire because he hasn't played. No reps, nothing. He's got new receivers on his team from Usuma to Conklin, drafting Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall. He had new offensive line mates, and then they went down. But it looks like Dwayne Brown's going to be back this week, yep. which would be a huge thing for them. I like where the Jets are. I am still not completely sold on this coaching staff. I know Robert Sala can be a really good defensive coach. The problem is he's not going to fire Jeff Ulbrich because Jeff Ulbrich is one of his best friends. I wonder with LaFleur, can he open up the playbook a little bit more? And everybody always says, oh, somebody's going to poach him for their head coaching job. If somebody wants to poach a Jet coach for their head coaching position, that means something right is going on there. I think LaFleur will be good at some point. I think he needs more time with Zach. But Zach looked good in that fourth quarter. He looked poised. He looked competitive, energetic. I hated what Joe Flacco said after game one when he said it just felt like we had no energy in the huddle. And my response back was dude you're the quarterback you're the one that's supposed to bring the energy in the huddle that's your job the fact that you said that dumb thing to even remotely speak of saying that we don't have energy was ridiculous nonsensical and it was just a stupid comment that was put out there by Flacco when he says "Ooh, we just didn't feel like we had any energy in the huddle bro you're the quarterback you're supposed to bring the energy that's why Wilson said in the huddle before they scored the winning touchdown let's go score a bleeping touchdown that's bringing energy and being a leader. That's bringing your team together and saying, listen, boys, let's go get down there. Let's do this. We did it before. We got them on the ropes. Let's continue. The Jets don't need help on defense. The safety help is a uh, travesty right now. Jordan Whitehead. I don't know if he's hurt or something's wrong. DJ Reed's been good. Amar Gardner's been fabulous. He was the guy I wanted at that fourth spot. I harped on it when Houston took Stingley. How's he doing this year, Stingley? Pretty good, but not Gardner good. When you look at it, he shut Jamar Chase down, even though they didn't win. He got Chase so angry that he tried to throw punches at him. Jermaine Johnson has been nice for them so far. I think that's something that Sal has got to start doing is this defensive constant rotations on the line keep what's out there if it's working don't ruin it and of course Gat wilson's been fabulous Brees hall's been really good this draft class definitely makes up for the disaster that happened in 20 which was a complete debacle in the last few years he's done great with the draft speedy what are your thoughts on the jets so far in their season and how competitive do you think they can be you brought up a good point with the assistant coaching staff. I think the stubbornness of certain defensive position groups have been very big for both Michael LaFleur and for Jeff Ulbrich so far. Starting with the defense, you mentioned the rotation of that defensive line. Maybe a big reason why that they have not been able to get a high pressure rate this year. Jermaine Johnson's improving. You have Bryce Huff. you got Mark Clemens that are all just in and out. The interior really has underwhelmed. And a lot of that has to do with not getting those consistent reps, too. You're coming in for one play, and then you're out for the next few plays. <laughs> now, the one thing it has helped is their run defense from last year. Last year, the run defense was awful this year year has been actually pretty good against the Ravens in week one. Quentin Williams has been a yeah. stud. Najee Harris not playing 100% understandable, but still, from where the Jets' run defense was last year, you have to consider that a massive improvement. The Browns are the only team that's been able to run on them pretty consistently so far, and all the AFC North teams have all good rushing attacks. LaFleur, sometimes he is still too stubborn with his scheme. I don't think there's a lot of adjustments at times, but he did do much better this week play calling with Zach Wilson. I like that he got Elijah Moore involved. Yes, but I think Zach Wilson really created more for Elijah Moore, yes. where you talk about the yards after the catch, you're talking about that motion, and you're 
you're talking about the versatility that Elijah Moore has brought. And you saw that big difference with Zach Wilson in comparison to Joe Flacco, who barely used him at all. And he was able to get Corey Davis involved too. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. That came out of left field. Conklin actually hung onto the ball this week. I'm still waiting for Usuma to catch a ball. He hasn't even caught one yet. It's been four weeks already. Yeah, so it's interesting because LaFleur is a direct derivative of the Kyle Shanahan offense, which uses the tight ends more, but he also comes from the, his brother's way of thinking, also the Sean McVay way of thinking that spread out a lot of the three receiver sets. So it's a little bit of a fusion of both so far, and he's tending to use the wide receivers more. So we'll see if they get the tight ends going later on in the season. You're right, Conklin had a pretty strong games. Their running the attack is great. Carter and Paul, that's set for the next X amount of years with right. those two. Again, that's they, my point with the Barkley thing. They got Carter in the third round, Speedy, and they got Hall in the second round. Right, two running backs now. Exactly. It's, you it's, could get a running back in any round you want. If somebody offers them for Barkley, I'd do it. The Patriots and the Saints, those two teams were ahead of the curve for a while. Now everybody's starting to do it where they're going for these running back platoons. And that's why a lot of these feature backs aren't getting the same level of both money and contract-wise now, too. And you're seeing it with a lot of these guys getting hurt right after they get paid. Christian McCaffrey, three years in a row now. Derrick Henry last year after he got paid. So, yeah, maybe the Giants do have to keep that in mind. But going back to the Jets, Zach Wilson definitely was doing a great job extending plays. And you saw his confidence level, too, to make a lot of tight throws, sophisticated throws against a Steelers secondary that, granted, isn't great. But, again, it's still coached by Mike Tomlin. Brian Flores is on that defensive staff. So they still have a lot of influence coaching on that. Him coming back in those conditions, very impressive. When we come back, the guys did an interview earlier in the week on Sports Loudmouths. you got to check it out. It's hysterical. It's awesome. The guys are going to be talking to former Raiders and Lions safety Stuart Schweiger. You can hear it all back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host... Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, we have our special guest. Very excited to have him on. We're now talking to former Raiders and Lion safety, Stuart Schweigert. Stuart, what's going on, bud? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I guess subscribe to your channel on YouTube as well. Well, thank you, man. We really appreciate yeah, you. You're a good guy. And you look good, man. You look healthy. How are you and your family doing since COVID? We've been fine. My wife's from Canada, so her family trying to get over here and see the grandkids hasn't been so easy, but I have four kids. My oldest daughter's 13 in eighth grade. My daughter, Emma, just turned nine and third. My son, Alex, is four. He'll be five here in a couple days and then my youngest daughter is Avery she's three and a half and we live in West Lafayette I went to school at Purdue University life has never been better what is it like being away from football all that time your life was football in high school and peewee and it'll be 10 years this November wow since my last time strapping it up 10 years Holy smoke. It's crazy. When I look at your career, and you played football for such a long time, really, from peewee to high school to even college, and then playing the NFL as long as you did, it's weird when you step away from the game that you lived, slept, and smelt your whole life doing and playing. Growing up in Saginaw, Michigan, my mother, Carol, was married to a man named John Canelli and had my four older siblings, my sister, Lisa, my brother, Johnny, my brother, Troy, and my other sister, Jenny. They were divorced, and my father, Big Stu, I'm little Stu, he's big. <laughs> Stu. Came from South Dakota, came into Saginaw, Michigan, and met my mother. Had me. They got divorced, and my father remarried, had my little sister. So I, 
I come from a very big family, blue collar. My older siblings played sports. I was a gymnast for the first 10 years of my life. And then when I was about 10 years old, I was like the size of like the 18 or 19 year olds in that sport. And I'm like, yeah, no, try something else here. But what a great foundation for me as far as core strength, flexibility, balance, and just, just all that stuff. But I, I played baseball. I did taekwondo. And fourth and fifth grade is when I started playing football and basketball. In high school, I was a football, track, and basketball player. From fourth grade, I was a running back and cornerback. And then in high school, I ended up switching to quarterback. We ran the option, basically another third running back, and then switched to safety. Loved track and field. My junior year actually won the 100-meter dash state championship. Wow, look at you. State of Michigan, Class A, was the first white guy to win it since 1956. It was quite an accomplishment for me beating a guy named Charles Rogers, who was a great competitor of mine since we were 14. We both grew up in Saginaw. Football, basketball, and track, we battled each other. Is that the same Charles Rogers who played in the NFL? Yes. So me and Charles, very close friends. My senior year, I had my mom finally left for a weekend, <laughs> and we had a huge party. And that's me and Charles before the senior year started partaking in some underage activities. We probably should have been, <laughs> but he actually fell asleep in my mom's bed. <laughs> But Charles Rogers was the greatest athlete, greatest natural athlete that I've ever competed against, you know, and I've had the pleasure of playing with guys like Randy Moss, Warren Sapp, Charles Woodson, Megatron, Calvin Johnson, and Charles Rogers was phenomenal. And since 14, you know, we battled in football, basketball, and track. And one of the biggest things, right, coming from Michigan or Midwest or actually anywhere, I guess, a six foot three, my sophomore year, 175, junior year, 185, senior year, 195, white dude is great locker room guy, great leader, Smart, tough, not fast, not athletic. And I've always been fast. When I beat him my junior year, it would have been like a white guy beating Usain Bolt. Like, there's just no way. But that competition, we would have six or 7,000 people come watch a dual track meet against me and Charles Rogers on a Wednesday in Saginaw. You'd have Nick Saban, Barry Alvarez, Joe Tiller, Bob Davies, Lloyd Carr in the stands watching us run in a dual track meet. So competing against him, me wanting to beat him, and I always say this, you're only as good as your competition. Mm. To have him growing up, and me and him were very close, played against each other, him at Michigan State, me at Purdue, then him getting in the NFL, and unfortunately suffering the injuries that he had, and then initially being not kicked out of the league, but failing drug tests of marijuana, which is a legal substance. Now you look at it, and it's like, it's unfortunate. And then the fact of him being labeled a bust just brought him into a great depression, and two years ago he passed away, and it still to this day really Sorry hurts me. It was unnecessary, but because of the public, and because of media, and that label of a bust, he just couldn't recover from it. There wouldn't be a Stuart Schwager without Charles Rogers. So thank you for allowing me to have a couple minutes to absolutely talk about him. And was a very close friend of mine. I got to talk to him two days before he passed away. And without him, I don't know if I would have had the route that I had. I would have played. But again, when I beat him, it was like people were actually knew, like, wow, this kid can run. We are talking to former Raiders and Lions safety, Stuart Schweigert. Your time with the Raiders, very interesting. And the Raiders have been a very interesting organization over the years. Big win this past Sunday against Denver, baby. It was a huge, huge win. We know the Davis family. They have run and sometimes people would say ruined this organization. I disagree. I think the Davis family have been one of the faces of the NFL as far as the ownership is concerned and really has changed the NFL for what it is today. I mean, What are your thoughts? You know the Davis family. You've been around them before. What was it like playing for the Davis family? During the draft process. Coming out of Purdue my freshman year, I was Big Ten freshman of the year. We won the Big Ten first time since 
since 1967 when Greasy and Leroy Keyes played back there. Drew Brees was my quarterback. Went to the Rose Bowl. I started all four years. I led the team in interceptions and tackles my freshman and sophomore year. Playboy All-American. Actually, I have Purdue's all-time interception record. I have 17. The previous record was 11 held by a guy. I'm sure you guys all know Rod Woodson. One of my mentors, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of Indiana, out of Purdue. Fort Wayne native. Still has track records here at Purdue. Great man. So then getting drafted. Al was a guy, each year there was a Al pick. He has his staff, all these hours and hours of evaluation. And basically the senior bowl is just another combine. Coaches are there, you're doing tests, evaluations, psychological testing, measurements, all this stuff in between meetings and going to practice and being evaluated at practice by scouts and filling out questionnaires and stuff. Then you go to the combine. I think the combine... Unless you have a doctor's note saying that you're physically unable to perform, I think everybody should be under those conditions. I agree. For three days. You don't do the actual physical stuff till the last day. I think everybody should be in those conditions with the testing, with the no sleep, with the interviews in the evening, with all the stuff that goes with the combine. So I say this because of all the talk and all the phone calls and all the conversations with my agent and GMs. And I took trips down to Miami on these visits. You start to think of teams that are showing you the most interest. Where could I go? Who needs safeties? What's your best bet? The NFL process from college to pro, I think is kind of messed up because you look at college basketball players. They get to go to the combine as a junior and talk to these guys and get evaluated and then go, you know what? Maybe I should go back. Maybe it's not time for me in the NBA. NFL-wise, unless you're like a top 10 pick, for the other guys, there's really no evaluation system to know like, where do I fit in in this draft? There was a thing where they had, it was like an insurance company that if you thought you were, had an opportunity <laughs> to leave early, they would evaluate you, see what your draft status would be, and then give you a policy right. in case your senior year you got hurt, that he paid out this amount. But again, it's like, we see you as an early second to late fifth. And it's like, what kind of evaluation is that? That's not telling me anything. If you even think of talking to an agent or declaring, like once you do, you can't come back. Like the whole Maurice Claret thing. It's yeah. just, I don't think it's fair. I think they need to adjust that a little bit so some of these players can get a proper evaluation on whether or not they should leave early or what's going on. But again, through this whole process, Houston Texans are showing this and the Indianapolis Colts and this team came and worked you out. Chuck Logano came for the Cleveland Browns and did a private workout with me and da 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 People always say, did you know anything about the Raiders picking you? I said, literally, the only communication that I had with the Raiders was at the NFL Combine and in the evenings of day two and three, you get a sheet and it's from like seven to nine and it has like every 15 minutes, there's a different team. Seven o'clock, the Bears. Seven fifteen, the Colts. Seven thirty, And they'll have a bullhorn that blows. The first floor of the hotel where the suites are they clear the suites out there's a wall with a dry erase board behind you a seat <laughs> and then like these bleachers over here and it's the entire staff president gm everyone they're just asking you questions from nine until ten there's like this conference area where you go and people can just kind of grab you and fill out questionnaires i'm sitting there and this elderly black gentleman comes up and he's got this raiders hat that's like my dad would wear it's like a starter's raider i know exactly what you're talking and about. these sweatpants <laughs> and he's like swagger i'm like yeah he goes can you sit down so i sit he hands me this sheet and literally name, address, cell phone <laughs> number, email, three best games, three worst games. I'm thinking about a month before the draft, they don't have this information. What the hell are these guys doing? Contact and fake son. And I'm like, well, there's no way I'm going to freaking Oakland. You know what I mean? That was like the only communication I had. So then draft day comes and me being drafted. So Al, they have these boards, but he may come in and go next pick, like literally 30 seconds before a time. You're taking this guy. And they're like, this was a guy we kind of looked at, but we've never really, you know, I want him right now. You, you take this guy right now. I was his pick 
in that draft that year. So I get drafted on a Saturday. That Thursday, I fly out. It's a team. It's not a rookie, this rookie BS mini camp deal where they're all walking them through all this stuff and pacifiers, coddling them and all that. It's everybody. It's right. like the first mini camp of the season. And I remember I fly in there to Oakland. Clayton Lopez, my coach, my DB coach, picks me up and drops me off at the facility, you know, and I'm kind of going through. I'm getting this and this, taking pictures, and I'm just kind of walking. I go into the training room, and there's no one in there, but this, there's a guy sitting down where you get taped. He's got just his Raiders, Reebok, cheapy shorts. I, I'm so jealous of what the kids get nowadays. We had, you know, we had Reebok and it was like, my Lord. But he's sitting there. He's got his ankles taped. No socks or anything on. He's got his Raiders shorts. No shirt on. He's reading the Wall Street. Whatever. Wall Street you Journal, know. yep. Gray chest there. He's kind of got, you know, gray stripe. And I'm looking at him going, that's Rich Gannon. That's my teammate. It kind of got real for, I'm like going, these are grown men that like are going to work. Like this isn't just some little game or whatever. I'm like, that's a NFL MVP guy. Sitting there, getting ready. I'm just nervous as all heck when he's just doing like this like it's just another day at the office so we do this mini camp rod woodson again purdue i break his record as a sophomore in college i'm sure he loved you for that so you think that right <laughs> then i'm coming in and he's injured at this time and they draft a safety in the third round and that's what makes rod woodson so special was he was a such a professional such a student of the game whereas you see tenant hill or whatever talking about it's not my job to show this kid what kind of teammate are you how insecure are you as a man right. to not want to help out your team teammate man mm -hmm. i mean that's your brother man like it's not like you're sitting here wanting him to take your job how else do you know how to be a professional without having competition guys you need competition here? absolutely so it's the last day of the mini camp it's sunday we're doing a team drill it's the last drill on sunday before mini camp breaks and whatever and i'm having a pretty good mini camp i'm holding my own and i had some great veterans not only rod woodson but ray buchanan yep. philip buchanan ray buchanan was a huge part of my success in the NFL because he taught me how to be a professional, not just on the field, but in the locker room, with the media, in public, how you travel, how you dress, road games. Guys like Warren Sapp took me under their wing, taught me what it was like. Without those veterans teaching me that, I wouldn't know what I'm doing, how to watch film, how to study, how to be prepared, how to conduct myself at practice. These guys are the ones that taught me how to do that. So being a veteran, that's huge for guys to teach the younger guys how to be professionals. But anyways, Rod Woodson, it's the last period Period. It's a team drill, two-minute offense, Tuyasa Sopo, who I actually played in the Rose Bowl my freshman year when Purdue played Washington. Tough. That guy was a beast in college, man. That guy was freaking tough, dude. But anyways, Rod Woodson says, dude, come here for a second. I said, hey, what's up, Mr. Woodson? He says, hey, on this next period, he goes, just take a look. They have a tight, you know, two by two, let's say 11 personnel. So one tight end, running back, slot, Z over here, X and Y over here. He goes, if they're somewhat close, five or six yards, be aware of that. Be aware of the down a distance. Let's say it's third and eight. Eight, third and ten it's a third down call let's say this is the tight end this is a receiver these guys come up if both these guys come up at five yards mm -hmm. and at five this guy cuts in and does this he goes just be alert to this guy to sit down and do a dig route at 10 so sure enough it's third and eight they're over there they're driving it's one of those deals where offense scores you're off if defense right. stops them camp's done with so Austin, i see a close split and i'm going okay and i look at the down and distance okay then i see it's two by two 11 personnel i'm like okay this is all kind of lining up here they both come off the ball they're both going vertical i'm going okay Okay. All of a sudden, the receiver cuts at five. I just stop and just move in a little bit. Now, if that tight end goes straight, it's You're a touchdown, yeah. right? Yeah. Worked myself right into here. Interception. End of camp. <laughs> then I'm all happy. Al Davis, the whole time I was there, he went to every practice. Each year, it went from him being able to walk, from him needing assistance. 
to a walker, right. to a golf cart. They filmed every period of practice because he'd come in and watch every individual period. He watched everything. We break camp, Norb Turner, great guys, see ya. All of a sudden, swag it. Al calls you. Yes, Mr. Davis. So I run over there and he grabs my jersey. You just always seem to find that ball, Schweiger. I walked him into the facility. This is a very special picture for me. Right, uh, and I'm thinking, this picture is because I had an interception. It wasn't anything I did. You know what it was? It was Rod Woodson saying, you know what? Let me help a guy that you'd think, this guy broke my interception record. Now he's taking my job. <laughs> did he care? No. He had nothing to prove. He knew how the process of the NFL goes. He still had the sense to sit there and go, let me help this guy out. A buddy of mine, he said, Stu, I gave him this picture. I signed it. He goes, you think Al Davis was? And this was during like that summer of my rookie year, right. a couple months afterwards. You know how it is kind of with your boss. Right. Like, you talk to your boss, but it's always kind of uncomfortable a little bit too especially when you're kind of new. So I go up and his, his secretary was fudgy. I said, hey, fudgy, is Al in, you know? Because yeah, I said, well, I guess what I don't, he doesn't sign autographs. It was like an eight by 10. He said, I think he'd sign this. She calls. Yep, he'll see you now. So I go in his office. I open up the door. It was almost like the stairway to heaven, right? Like it's just like, <laughs> all the carpet is white. The walls are white. And when I say white, like ivory. One of those like pale medical rooms. Everything else, as far as the desks, the chair, it's all black. You're in heaven. (laughs) In hell. Yeah. Heaven and hell. Exactly. Three Super Bowl trophies behind him. He either wore this black one or the white Raiders starter that you always see him in. That's what he wore, dude. The black one had been sun faded so much it was almost brown now. And he had the (laughs) chain on his glasses. And Swagger, come here. I didn't even have a chance to ask him. I sit down and he goes, Stuart Swagger, Saginaw Valley League 1999 football MVP. He led the league in rushing with 1,650 yards, 25 rushing touchdowns, <laughs> off-state safety quarterback, ran a 10-600 beat Chuck Roger. And I'm sitting here like, here's Al Davis who knows if you want to know football or been with anybody that has anything to do with like the history of the NFL, this guy knows. And here he is spouting off my high school statistics. I'm just going inside <laughs> that. He was a man that was very passionate about it. Obviously, towards the end was some of the decisions he made probably not the best. I agree. But without Al Davis and his influence in the NFL and what he did and giving players that other teams looked past either a first chance or a second chance, he did what he wanted to do. And that's what I love is so many of these GMs and front offices in the NFL, they're just, what are they doing? And that's why you see some of these teams, they will purposely in public talk about they like a guy, but they really don't because they know us don't do their research (laughs) and they're just going to pick him because so-and-so wants him. The guys they really want, you never hear anything about it. There's a version of the Buccaneers drafting Bo Jackson when he said he wasn't going to go there anyway. I don't know if I know that story. Whenever he was drafted, he publicly said, I'm not going to the Buccaneers. And then they still oh, drafted oh, him anyway. Bo Jackson yeah. said that. Made it add him into the team. See, <laughs> I don't mind it from him, but like John Elway and Eli Manning, get out of here with that crap. Tell him how it is. I met John Elway one time and his teeth were so big, I couldn't think of anything else besides looking at his face. Here's the other thing too. Is being in <laughs> Oakland, I had the opportunity, guys like Willie Brown, very mm-hmm. close friend of mine, RIP Willie Brown, George Atkinson, Lester Hayes, Jim Otto, Fred Belitnikoff is a close friend of mine. Jack Tatum, God rest his soul. Jim Plunkett. And one thing Willie Brown taught me, which I, I had a general respect for the guys that came before me already, but during that minicamp, the rookies, Willie Brown was kind of like our liaison, kind of our coach between coaches, guy you could go to and you knew like he wasn't really a coach. You could talk freely with him. And it was the rookies, nine of us. So he said, put down your pads, put down your helmet. This 
playbook. It doesn't mean anything. And he had this Raiders yearbook or Raiders <laughs> history or whatever. And he said, here's what you need to study. Guys. He goes, for one, the guys that made the Raiders famous and won three Super Bowls. Not only know who those guys are, but what they had to do to do that. So you have an idea of what it is to be a baller in the NFL. Some of these guys, it's like, yo, man, I'm balling. It's like, do you even know what that means? Like, who are you comparing yourself to? The guys on your team who suck anyways? Or are you comparing it to Hall of Fame guys? And he said, secondly, these guys are going to be around here. And he goes, you go up and you pay your respects to them. And I thought, how embarrassing would it be for me to be up in Napa Valley at camp? And I'm a safety. And here's Jack Tatum watching practice. And I don't say anything to the guy. So I always learned to make sure to know who the guys were. Because I could do a whole show about the alumni they do. And how it's growing and how they save lives. But they fly guys out to games. And we go and shake hands and suites. And it's a great time. And I went out for seeing my former teammate Charles Woodson's ceremony they did for him when he got his Hall of Fame induction when we played the Kansas City Chiefs. There's like eight Hall of Famers there, 24 everywhere. He speaks, the guy from the Hall of Fame's there, the show was bust, and this is before the game. I'm big into numbers, and who's wearing my number now? And you watch these guys. I'll be thinking like, okay, there's 24 all around this thing. The guy wearing that number, I'm thinking, Ugh, I better go out and do my thing here. The Raiders just get annihilated. The guy wearing his jersey gets mossed by a fullback, and I'm oh, thinking, yeah. if that were me, I would literally take the jersey off and go, I shouldn't be wearing this. This is disrespectful. And I'm thinking, I bet you that probably didn't even cross the mind of that player. Maybe you should have wore the jersey inside out or backwards. If that were Woodson, I may go down and go, hey, listen, son. Nah, uh, 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 uh. We're done with that. We're not doing that anymore because that wasn't your number in college. So obviously you knew that Willie Brown and Charles Woodson that wore that number and you decide to pick that number. That's already setting precedence of what type of player that you think you're going to be. And you'll never be able to match that. That shows a type of mindset of someone picking that number. I'd be like, whoa, uh-uh. like someone at Michigan wearing number two. There's some high expectations there, brother. And if that's not your number from high school, why'd you pick it? Because you're trying to say that you're, you know, you're what I mean? influenced so, by it, but you're wearing it anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You said Cliff Branch was 21. Didn't Namdi Asimov wear 21? So Namdi Asimov was 21. Absolutely. Yeah, so so Namdi Asimov was a very close friend of mine. So Namdi Asimov, who I think was one of the best man-to-man corners was, in the yes. NFL at the time, he goes to Philadelphia. They play a cover two. It's a little bit different ski. With Namdi, high intellectual guy. So Namdi, we lived close to each other. Thursday, I go to Namdi's house after practice. It was a shorter day. He cut my hair. We would watch the real world. And then he would play the piano for me. Mm. Him and then usually Akbar Baja Biamila who's the host of American Ninja <laughs> Warrior. Yep. We come over. That was kind of like our Thursday ritual. And then when Chris Carr came, it was kind of us four. So Nambi was a very, very close friend of mine. And a guy, when Asante Samuel came out with talking trash about him, I think it was on the Pivot Show. When Samuel was an eagle you're talking about? Because I know he yeah, played with Asante. And what he said about him, there's a difference between personal and then professional. There's professional conversations, speaking about, about somebody professionally, and then speaking about somebody personal. And I felt his attack on him was personal. And... I never like it when guys don't give other guys their due respect. There's guys as people I probably don't respect, but as them as players, I'll tell you they're great players all day long. Or there's other guys that maybe didn't get the recognition, but better get ready. This dude's good. Because you know, some guys, you have to be confident and think you're the best, but you also have to be realistic. Like, oh, this dude sucks. Well, why are you saying he sucks? He's a B or whatever. And it's like, I'm just telling you, dude, if that's the way you think, this dude's going to destroy you. And that's one thing with me. And I think that's why my social media and fans, I try to be as honest as 
as I can. So if I'm going to tell you a guy's good, you go, if Stu's saying that guy's good, then he thinks he's good. If Stu's saying that guy's an asshole, he's probably an asshole, right? <laughs> because you can see some people are just saying it just because, whereas me, I'm giving that opinion because I either played with the guy, played against the guy, or I know the guy. If I don't know him, I'm not going to give you an opinion because it's not right to be able to give that opinion. Sometimes it's like, man, just give the guy a little props, man. That's one reason I have the whole thing with Tony Gonzalez. Only player to ever knock Tony out in 07. Mm, all right. Only player to ever knock him out cold. First of all, you can't find it on the internet. You can't find it on NFL's biggest hitch. It was on YouTube. He took it off. I have what? it. Oh yeah, I have it. I'm going to relaunch it, but I have multiple plays of me, maybe not knocking him out, but knocking him good hits, stopping him. Never once will you find a play of him dunking on me in the end zone, but he will not give me any respect. Every interview, every time, I'm even thinking this last week when Tua Tungalova and that whole thing's a mess. Yeah. I wish him the best, but when Tony was talking about it, I was the only one to ever give him a concussion, and I'm thinking, you you know, when I was knocked out and whatever, he won't. Like, he talks about every other safety, he talks about other guys. One game, he comes up and says, hey, Stu, can you stop hitting me in my legs? Can you hit me up high? And I go, what did you say to him? Can you keep it up high? Oh, sure, Tony, yeah! Whatever you want, buddy. Hey, let me know when you're gonna run a seven round. I'll just fall down. I said, Tony, you're not my teammate. I don't play for the Kansas City Chiefs. I said, now that I know that, every play, I'm going to try to bend your knees in backwards, brother. <laughs> He's like, well, Jesus, dude. I'm like, we're playing in this game right now. We're not brother lawing it. That stuff you do in practice on during the offseason with your own teammates, not against a rival game, against a, at home. That's some type of basketball type talk. I'm not doing that. And first of all, you're probably trying to set me up. So if you're wide open, can you just drop the ball, Tony? Can you not block me on a crackdown block? I'm not playing that stuff, Tony. But I knew then. I had him. For someone to tell you to back off, that right away is showing like, oh, I own this guy. But you'll never see it. You'll never hear about it. But again, like I said, I have a nice video that I like to make editing. I'm going to launch it at the right time. We are talking to former Raiders Lions safety, Stuart Schweigert. Stu, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. I want to get you on again. Your stories are fantastic. That was not even the peak. I have a lot of funny seasons. One of my favorite players, Yes, a guy that I know that you'll appreciate, a guy I trained with, a friend of mine who I want to reconnect with is Jericho Cotri. If you get a hold of him, please let me know because he's a very very, very close friend of mine that I'd love to reconnect with. And I did spend some time with the G-Men. 2008, I right? I remember that. Another great Jet, Eric Smith from Michigan yeah. State. Eric Smith was a good Jet. I did a show with Eric Coleman. Don't worry, you were drafted higher oh, than him dude, in 2004. Eric was my dude, yeah. man, from Washington State. Yeah. yeah, Eric is big out here now. He's got his own show on MSG. I my coach, him. Kenny Green at Purdue, my first three years, is from Washington State, was actually the first white safety drafted before Adam Archuleta in the first round, but coached yeah. Eric. He left and coached Eric my senior year, and now Eric Coleman. Dude, yeah, he's probably. down on the curls, dude. Yeah, Jesus. He's, he's funny he to likes to show off. But LaDainian Thompson, he him. finished his career in New York, correct? Yes, yes. Great player. Rob Ryan was my D coordinator in Oakland, and obviously his brother Rex. Another guy that was a great player of mine that was in the Jets was from Wisconsin, Jim Leonard. Great now the interim player. coach there. Their coach just got fired. He's going to be wait, a great what? coach. Paul Chris just got fired or something really? this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Jim Leonard is the interim coach now. That would make sense. He's a badass dude. Badass. Josh McCown, was he out there? Yes, he was. Played great for, teammate, yes. great athlete, great, great player. Dustin Keller. Purdue. He's Purdue. A Purdue yeah. guy, he, was, yes. he was a freshman when yeah. I was a senior, and he's from Lafayette, where, where Purdue is. Cody Spencer, he was out yes. there in New York for a little bit. He was drafted with me in Oakland. You'd be amazed at how small football is. It's like any other sport. You're in a brotherhood. You're in a brotherhood. You know everybody. There are ways 
more bad coaches and front office people than there are good ones. You think the higher you go up, the better it would be. It's guys just hiring their drinking buddies, dude. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, believe me. Errol and I have both learned that as yeah. Giants and Jets fans. Yes. <laughs> Still, we thank you for your time, bud. Anytime, guys. Definitely yeah. reach out to you again. And I definitely want to see if I can get this Jericho Cotri thing to work. Because I think I tried reaching out Maybe to we'll him. surprise Jericho and we'll dude. get you on. That would be really funny. Say, hey, man, there's this horny white safety that like, says, like, you know, <laughs> Like, as soon as you say Stu, go, ah, oh, Stu! I get it. Where's he at? Is he coaching? I'm not sure what he's okay. doing right now. Yeah, guys, let me know, man. I actually would love to have you guys on my show. Absolutely. Anytime you want, man, we'll come on. Stu, thank you for joining us, bud. Anytime. Well, we were just talking to X-Raider, Lions Safety, Stuart Schweiger. Great personality. Good person. Told us great stories. Al Davis stories. Fantastic. Yeah. When we come back, it's Moneyline Mania. Here on the Weekend Crunch. You are listening to 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Jeff Hilbert, your host, Speedy Petey. And now we have our wonderful, amazing handicappers, Chaz and Hector, on as well. Get into some betting, money, line, media. This is Money Line Mania. Which has and the crew. What's going on, guys? How are you? Hey, no you know what? I'm thinking of the four of us. So it's me and Hector, Josh and Petey. Petey's getting the best deal here with Errol not being around. Oh, I'm telling you that right now. Now, Chaz, didn't I say how much more subtle it is when he's not on? I've listened to your shows and and, and watched you on before, and Errol's an Errol. There's one Errol. That's it. There's no one. And really, remember, I grew up back there. I know East Coast guys and New York guys. They're different than the rest of the peoples in the world. And they're great. You don't necessarily want two of them, though. No, no, Oh, God, cloning Errol. That's a scary thought. (laughs) We got bumped tonight, but we do have a good, good thing that happens this weekend it's thanksgiving in canada a eh? on monday canadian thanksgiving so we get a cfl game on monday which is part of wes's package so we got a couple plays from wes hector's the soccer guy first and foremost but don't let him kid you he could talk to you about anything the problem is as in reviewing like 15 years of tapes from shows he always picks the steelers <laughs> bills? No comment this year the steelers against the bills are going to cover hector is that what you're telling me what's the spread on that it's 14 i'll take 14 on the football game this early i'll take 14 wow that's a lot of faith you have in your offense which nashi harris has banged up he's absolutely right though the nfl game shouldn't have double digit spreads and we're seeing two or three of them almost every week now going forward the picket yeah. Pickens we'll combo is maybe your only chance. I Chase really Claypool might get that first game, down and then he'll I could not celebrate. believe they were keeping that kid on the bench. What do you got to lose? This is not working. What you yeah, have exactly. on the field for the first two or three games is not football. Don't get me wrong. It's probably better than Russell Wilson or I was going to say, hey, at the Broncos right now. That thing was a yeah. brutal thing to watch the other day. Dude. I gave out the under on that game. And everyone was complaining about the game, and I thought it was artistically beautiful. Six minutes into that game, you knew the under was good. And it just kept getting better. It was 42 points, and that 42 points kept looking bigger and bigger and bigger as that game went on. It was horrible football. As long as Nathaniel Hackett's coaching, the under is a pretty safe bet. (laughs) No doubt about it. All right, so Hector, what are you thinking? I know that you're dealing with USL. Do they have any games on Sunday? Yeah, they got a bunch. They got actually four games on Sunday. So let's look at that because we are 
in the heart of that end of a season. And guys, it comes up here in the Canadian Football League probably in the next week too, where teams are out of it and teams are in it and then teams are on the cusp. So it's a different way of betting when the season is over for some teams, how they respond. Either way, it be, could be over because they clinched their seed, right? They're not changing their seed or they're gone. They're just going to empty their locker and get out of there. Or the people that are on the cusp and every week is a playoff game. I've always liked going on the back of somebody who the last three or four games of the season, whatever sport it is, they had to win to get in because you know they're playing like it was a playoff for a week ahead of everybody else. So anybody like that, Hector, on Sunday? Yeah, I'm looking at three games, actually. Speaking of Pittsburgh, we got the Pittsburgh Riverhounds going on the road against the Sacramento Republic. Pittsburgh's the five seed in the east and Sacramento's the four seed in the uh, west right now. They're pretty much locked into the four seed, which means they'll get a home playoff game. If you guys remember, that's the team that went all the way to the final of the U.S. Open Cup and they surprised like three major league soccer teams to get to the final. Eventually they lost to Orlando, but everybody was rooting for the Cinderella story right there. USL Championship team winning a U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, these two teams are looking good, man. I mean, they're both pretty much locked into position right now, but you definitely want, they only got a couple games left and they definitely want to go into the playoffs streaking and playing their best ball. It's about finishing strong and, and uh, being in the best position to keep the momentum going. Not so much who finishes first or not, but yeah, I'm liking Sacramento at home. I think they're going to bounce back from some losses or some pathetic play that they had recently and I think they're going to pull off the match and they're going to beat the River. Another Pittsburgh team going down. I think they're going to beat Pittsburgh one to nothing at home. So pretty much you'll have the same amount of points as the Steelers. No safeties, unfortunately. Have you ever been to Pittsburgh? No, I became a Steelers fan because my dad was a Cowboy fan. I grew up in Mexico and that's when the Cowboys were the biggest thing. They only showed Cowboy games in Mexico growing up. So it was either the home games by Televisa or the road games by Azteca. So I got sick of those guys. So the rivals back then were the Steelers. So that's how I became a Steelers. They sure were. Our host, have either of you guys been to Pittsburgh? I have not. My my brother went there on a college trip, and he actually went to a Pirates game there. He said that park was beautiful. I've been to Pittsburgh a couple of times for Mets, Pirates, Permonte Bros. That's the spot. Yeah, I was there once for a, a golf outing. We spent the weekend, and we partied. Literally, we were Riverhounds. That's why I brought it up, because we got drunk. They have a place, a strip, where it's all bars. We had a golf weekend, so we did golf, and you all could have a bogey. You could take a mulligan. So the way it worked is we drank at every bar we passed. We would not pass a bar without taking a drink, but there was four of us. Everybody could mulligan that bar if we needed a little break. And we made it like seven bars and we were done. We were slot. We drank all day playing golf and then tried to do a bar run at night. But we ended up at midnight at a place that you had to pay money to get in. And they had lap dances on the top floor and an open bar. It was really a wild place. I have no idea where it was, but we had a good time in Pittsburgh. San Diego Loyal, my team in San Diego. They're going to be taking on New Mexico United. San Diego Loyal's locked into the two seed in the West. And New Mexico looks to be as the five seed right now. So they might end up playing in the playoffs depending on the result. This game, San Diego Loyal is looking good. They won their last game. They've had some close matches with the best teams in the conference and Landon Donovan. Looks like the rumor is he's going to be leaving for MLS, Major League Soccer, to coach one of the teams up there next year. So I'm sure he wants to leave with a good taste in his mouth and maybe even lift a trophy for San Diego. And I'm liking them to continue on even though they're not going to be go up and down in the standings. I think, again, another team that wants to keep playing strong as the playoffs come in. And they got that home crown behind them at Torero Stadium. So I'm going to go with San Diego Loyal winning at home. 2-1 
one on this one. And the third game is going to be San Antonio FC, the first seed in the West. They already locked into the first seed. They're going to have home field advantage. They're actually going to have a bye week in the first week of the playoffs. And they're going to take on Birmingham Legion, who's still in the playoff hunt in the East. They're going to travel to Birmingham, so it'll be a long trip for San Antonio. I'm not saying they're going to have a letdown because they're such a good team, even if they have their bench players playing. It's almost like having starters. But Birmingham Legion is definitely one of those teams that has to have a better seeding position, maybe get home field advantage in the Eastern Conference for the first round. But I'm liking Birmingham at home. They got more to play for than San Antonio. I think San Antonio is more about preventing injuries and working the minutes and coaching staff, managing the minutes of their starters. So I think Birmingham is going to come out at home with a pretty comfortable win. I'm going to go 2 to nothing on that one for the Legion. I always like writing down the scores when he gives. Most handicappers don't give you the scores, but when you get the scores, it gives me a little bit more idea of what he's thinking the game's going to be, and I could play accordingly. So if he likes a low-touring game and they score a couple quick goals, then I sometimes will hop on an under five and a half, and they don't score again for the whole game. So it works out well. All right, guys. I'm All right. Okay, go get him, Hector. Later. So we'll slide from Hector to Blackhawk Wes, who wasn't able to make it today. He wasn't able to make it on Wake and Bake this morning. I'm not sure if you guys listened to Wake and Bake this morning, but if you did, you hit every bet and you turned $100 into $22,500,000. If you listened to Wake and Bake this morning, that's what you did. So if you didn't listen this morning, you should listen next Saturday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Bring that $100 with you. What was the geographic location yeah. of the week? Oh, actually, it was the middle of the North Atlantic. Nice. It was a place where it looked really pretty, but the picture looked like the movie with Tom Hanks with the volleyball. Wilson oh, Castaway, guy. yeah. Yeah, that's what it looked like. It didn't look inviting to be growing cannabis. <laughs> it didn't look like it was a place where you could have an exclusive club. Don't you love those exclusive clubs nah, where you could you drink all day? And you can't grow cannabis in a cave? Oh, come on. <laughs> it didn't look like it. It looked like a place you would get deserted. So Blackhawk West has coming with us with a play for Sunday and a play for Monday. On Sunday, he likes Green Bay. Now, this is the same guy that hasn't given out a loser, I don't think, on this show since, in a yeah, long, long time. You're right, not since like the early August. We're talking about 11, 12, 13 in a row now. It's not a joke anymore. On Monday, he likes in the Canadian football game, which is Monday at 10 o'clock here, 1 o'clock Eastern time. So right in the heart of your day on Monday, there's no football right on Monday. You got to wait till Monday night. Uh-uh. You could hop on Montreal. West says lay the points. Montreal's given up like six and a half. So lay the points there. So that would be a two-teamer I would play for sure because I trust these guys handicapping. I'm going to look at some stuff for Sunday. When I look at Wes's play on Monday, one of the things that jumps out at me is that Montreal does have a pretty darn good record against the spread. I got a play that I'm doing with Ohio. I'm in Ohio talking to Billy Elvis every week. And so I try to stick with those teams. And I've got the... Cleveland Charger game over, and I like Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is going to win. Baltimore has not really been their best friend. They've been like their own worst enemy this year. Two double-digit blown leads in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That secondary is yeah. supposed to be really good. It's not been so far, but they really lack edge-rushing depth, though, too, because their interior is very good. Yeah, and you know, I don't normally touch the Charger games. I don't really care about the Charger games. <laughs> However, because I'm talking to people in Ohio and they're close to Cleveland, I, I looked at it, and, and so I like over there. I would say if I was going to talk about any other games, I would talk about the fact that Giants fans have to get up early to see that ugly, ugly team of theirs. 
Yeah, I'll be in Boston. I'm actually visiting my brothers this weekend, one of my brother's friends, and we're going to be hanging out at some kind of outdoor viewing place so you can watch these football games at in Boston. The last time the Giants were in London, it was the Rams in 2016. That was before McVay got there. It was Jeff Fisher's last year, and it was a literal snooze fest. The Giants won 13 to 10, and I was trying to keep myself awake. Yeah. Oh my God, it was so hard. You've described a handful of games already this year, haven't you? Golly, oh, yeah. geez, some of it is so ugly. Wes likes Green Bay. Here's the thing with the Giants. They've not scored any points yet. They're three and one. So when was the last time the Giants were three and one and they didn't look good at three and one? It's kind of weird that they're three and one, you know? Yeah, there have always been more, even when they were good with Coughlin, they were always a, more of a second half team. They started slow a lot outside of 2008, which they were the last undefeated team left. And then Plaxico Burris, literally and metaphorically, shot himself in the foot. I do write for the Vegas Insider, and so they give me Monday and Thursday night, which is pretty cool. I've only been with them since May, but they give me those columns. They're exclusively mine, so I have a lot of fun with it. And I've been right on pretty much most games because I put a little extra effort into it. I haven't, though, looked at the Monday night game yet. I talked to John from GMF Sports, who is in Vegas and likes the Raiders, but he likes them this week to upset Kansas City on the field. I don't know about going into Kansas City on a night game and winning. Do you guys have any opinions on that? I disagree with that. I don't really I trust their defense entirely. Anymore. No I, yeah. way. This is a guy who I highly respect and who right now I think is 13-6-1 okay. in his last 20 plays with the NFL in the Circa. And last week he won 5 Now refresh, is he a Raiders fan? Not okay, really. He's All a right. Yankees fan. Ugh, even worse. He, he grew up in New York. The Sunday night game is Cincinnati at Baltimore. I like Cincinnati. There's another game that's the Miami Jets game. One of your neighborhoods. So I talked to Chris from uh, Belly Up Sports, and he likes Miami to whack the Jets. Ooh, and, and you know what? The Jets did beat Pittsburgh, and we gave Hector some grief on Pittsburgh. But, I mean, really, <laughs> beat Pittsburgh isn't something you even put on your resume. That's like you saying on your resume, you were the vice president of sales, and then for two weeks you worked at the counter at Starbucks. You just don't put it on your resume. Does he not realize that it's Bridgewater starting, not Tua? Yeah, I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater fan. And when you're making a play, sometimes you're saying, I like this. But you're really saying, I don't like the other team. And that could be where that is there. Any five-team parlays that we should know about? <laughs> no, but I will have Wes's parlay, and I will add to it. So what I do is on Wake and Bake, I try to tell the guys to do three picks. Because this way, you're either a winner or a loser. Two and two doesn't do you any good. Three and one, uh, two and one, okay. One and two, yeah, you stunk. And so I'll go through, and I'll pull their plays, and I'll throw those into a big play, you know, seven, eight-teamer. I only do it for like five bucks. But you know what? I've hit a few seven-teamers for five bucks and they pay like four figures so in the end that last game for five dollars is usually the way sports betting works is when you have a shot to hit a seven-teamer, the Lord doesn't give you the ability to hedge. Two of the games go off at the same time, usually. So you're kind of stuck. You can't really hedge two games. I'll definitely throw a parlay in on Hector's Sunday's games. I won't really worry about the over-unders. I'll just look at, at those games. As you know, with soccer, it's three-way action. So you can bet a draw, too. And so I don't normally bet the draws. Wes has got the two games. Both guys mentioned Green Bay. Both Chris and Wes mentioned Green Bay. So I'm going to throw Green Bay on a ticket. 
And I like betting on that game for the first half, those London games, because when I wake up, I don't even have to look at the score. I just look at my account. If I got more money than when I went to bed, I know I hit the first half because that's about what I'll get up. I'll get up about nine o'clock. It'll be sometime in the second half. Sunday's the only day I sleep in because I get all my bets in before I go to bed. <laughs> you check your bank account, realize, oh, okay, this game's early, and then fall back asleep. Exactly. But I really do. I had Green Bay last week. They let us down. They played so poorly. I, I just got to think they'll play better. By Sunday, there could be some major league baseball action on my agenda, but I'm going to watch these first couple games and kind of get a feel. Right, This is a new format. I haven't been betting baseball for the last month since football started, so I'm not going to just start going crazy betting playoff baseball when I haven't paid attention. But I'll pay attention to these first eight games or so. And we'll see what happens. I know right here where we live in San Diego, it's pretty exciting time because the team really believes in their partners. Oh, yeah, so yeah. We'll you happens. enjoy that. That's nice. Good for you. Congratulations. Really, you're going to end it that way, Chaz? That's nice. That's good. Rub it in more. The I'm positive. not a Padre fan. I'm just telling you. I don't care. You brought it up. Now you went to chamber. That's it. I tell people all the time. You got to fool yourself before you can start fooling me. So, Chaz, you're a winner. I want you to do this. Since you haven't bet baseball in a while, do this for me. I want you to bet the Mets then. I grew up a Mets fan. If you so ask you my dearest. The Mets, it's a no-brainer. If, if you ask my ass. dearest friend, I was a diehard Mets fan. I once got written up and they added a new rule to the school rules because I snuck in a radio in uh, I used to do that all 73. The time. Just like you're sitting, Josh. With that, that's how I was sitting, right? With the thing going into my ear. I do that. In 2006, and I got bumped. 2006, I got whacked. Little mini MP3 player thing. I had an earbud yep. in my ear in class in 06, and I had opening day round yep. radio. I got whacked in the back of the head by a nun. <laughs> I took my radio, and the <laughs> next year the rules were you can't bring radios to school because up to that point nobody had done it. So you know what? I've been was? a trendsetter for years now. So, so you know what it was? I had the sweatshirt on, so I put the MP3 player in my pocket and I loop it through inside my sweatshirt, and I had the earbud yep. and I loop it around inside so nobody yeah <laughs> with me what happened was they went on strike some guy that was batting like 172 made a million dollars the next year and i said yeah forget it i'm a football fan i went to college football because the kids didn't make any money now they're yeah, millionaires just, too just do me the favor just for speedy and i just bet them <laughs> i used to know the words to the song and everything nice well, i have tickets to game two i could easily be at the stadium when the padres win the series which would be disturbing i've seen it all if you're a fan you got to take the good with the bad all right gentlemen i think that's about it for me thanks Chaz. we bring you winners always be cashing man it was awesome to talk to you again for sure uh, i know i'm not errol but more pleasant very ironic because rather than espresso this was more like a nice warm cup of tea you wouldn't think it i'm in like a really bad mood because of how the Mets are playing? I could not tell. Of course, <laughs> I saw you pound your desk once, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was at the Lindor popped up. Oh, right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Chaz. Thanks, Chaz. Have a good one, man. Yep. Be good. Yeah. That was really awesome to have that for sure. Chaz and Hector joining us for the Moneyline Mania. We tried to get him to do baseball. I don't know if he budged, <laughs> per se. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch, we're going to get into some hockey talk right here on 103.9 the LA News Radio Network. We'll be right back. We are back here on 103.9 LR News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Sweet Josh Silverberg, along with me, Speedy PD. All right, Speedy. So hockey is right around the corner. When's the first 
game of the year. The Rangers are starting up this Tuesday against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a rematch of oh, the great. Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, great. And who the Islanders go against? The Islanders start up Thursday against the Florida Panthers at home. Oh, great. So both Florida teams are going to come in here and beat the crap out of both New York teams. That's the way to start the season. There I am with my negative energy again. There I go. Well, beating up might be on the literal standpoint, too, because Matthew Chuck is now in Florida. We'll get to the Islanders first because they had the big news coming out this week. The Matthew Barzell contract, eight years, 73.2 million, average of 9.15 million a year. So they threw all their eggs into Matt Barzell's basket for this and for the next eight years. And really, when I look at this contract and you saw the season that he had last year, of course, was it a great season for him? No, not compared to the season before. They're still looking for that line mate for him. And they still have not found that line mate for him. Three years now to find somebody just a semblance of somebody to be his line mate. And Lula Amorello still has not found that person yet. I know everybody's excited about Aturati. He's not going to be it. But a lot of changes for the Islanders. They brought in a kid from Montreal, the defenseman, Romanov. They traded their first round pick for him. Young kid. Their defense is really good, obviously, with arguably one of the best pairs in Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick. You expect Noah Dobson to take that next step forward. And then they brought Romanov in. So their defense is going to be fine. Of course, you have Sorokin in net. That's going to be fine. It's two things. It's How's the offense going to sustain throughout the season? Because they essentially did no upgrades to the offense. They're keeping the same offense from last year. And then you have the new head coach coming in, Lane Lambert, after the shocking firing of Barry Trotz. Walked away. He was let go. There was a disagreement. Something that hasn't come out that probably will never come out. But when we look at how the Islanders are going to be this year, it's going to be fascinating. And the thing is, they're in a very good Metro division. You've got the Rangers. You've got the Hurricanes. You've got Pittsburgh is always going to be threatening. I would expect the Devils to be better this year and improve. But again, Lindy Ruff is still the coach. That's not going to happen. And it's a shame because they actually have talent. And then you got the Flyers who are just in the complete rebuild right now, but are trying to have Torts do his magic. Like what he did with Columbus when Columbus was on a rebuild. And then he came in there, changed the team aspect of what their goal was. And the guys bought in and they were very competitive. So the Islanders to me are interesting. I think they could be a wild card team this year. You have the other division. You're going to have Toronto. You're going to have Florida. You're going to have Tampa. You're going to have Boston. Gosh, you're just waiting for Buffalo to take that. That next step at some point. Either Detroit and Ottawa. Both of those teams could take a leap. I like Ottawa a lot this mm-hmm. year. I do too. Um, if they can get any level of goaltending, that could be a very dangerous That's game. the thing because they traded for Talbot and then they lost him which was a killer because Talbot was going to be the starter. And now he's out for the first month or so of the season. Anton Forsberg is their other starter right now. Oh, by the way, Tampa's not going anywhere. Is Tampa going to win the Stanley Cup? No. But they're not going anywhere. They still have Stamkos. They still have Kucherov. They still have Henman. They still have Point. They still have Vasilevsky. Sergachev. They still have all that young talent mixing with the good vets that can help it get to that next level. I don't know where the Islanders Fit. I think they could compete for a wild card spot. They haven't brought in a massive difference maker on offense in years. Now, I know they tried for Johnny Goudreau and they finished, I believe, second in the running behind right. Columbus. Mm-hmm. They put all their eggs in Goudreau's basket and he didn't want it. He wanted to go to Columbus. For, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't make any sense to me. Where are you with the Islanders at this point? I know getting the Barzell contract because Barzell is coming off a mediocre season at best. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are right now because I do think the 
Metro is still going to be kind of tough, but I don't know if it's going to be like as deep as it is has been in previous years. Pittsburgh and Washington are both getting old. I think one of them will end up falling yeah. off. I think it'll probably be Washington. Just because I think it's going to be Washington. They're window close. Yeah, I don't think they really got better this off season. They made some good trades with Anthony Mantha to get younger, but really, well, T.J. Oshie already got hurt again. The rest of their team is really old. Their defense really fell off last year, and now they lost Samsonov. Now he's with Toronto, and um, they signed Kemper. But is he going to be the same Darcy Kemper that the Avalanche had? A different so, team. Yeah, it's a different it, defense. He's always yeah. been kind of up and down throughout his career. So which side of Darcy Kemper are you going to get? They're the team that I think that'll drop off. Columbus is an interesting one, too. They're a young team that definitely did better like, than expected last year. So they're probably going to be the other team with the Islanders in that running because the Flyers are old, too. And maybe Tortorella gets something out of them, but it's tough to tell. But yeah, I think it'll end up being Hurricanes and Rangers top two. And then probably Pittsburgh will still get the third spot just on the star power alone. And then they'll be fighting for those wild card spots because of their defense and goaltending. If they have a trade deadline acquisition up their sleeve, maybe that could help them elevate them. I'm in the same boat as you right now. I think they'll probably be a wild card team on the defense and goaltending. And again, they got a lot of guys returning, so you don't have to worry about guys getting used to each other. Now, you have the other divisions, you can already lock these spots up. Florida, lock it up. Toronto, lock it up. Tampa, lock it up. That's three spots right there gone. So now you're talking Boston, Islanders, Washington, yeah. Columbus, all fighting for that last wild card spot. Even in that Atlantic. Ottawa's another. I wouldn't sleep on Detroit either if they can get some level of goaltending too, because they had a very busy offseason too. I did draft Huso on my team. Huso played very well last year with St. Louis. Alex Jelkovic had a bad year last year with Detroit, but did play well with Carolina. So they get a little bit out of him and make a nice platoon there because their defense is actually pretty good. And then they had a very eventful signings with offense. They brought in Andrew Kopp, Pex Ranger. They brought in David Perron. So they have a little more depth offensively. They're another team that could be a sleeper too. They do have a new coach, but if they can find something then, who knows with that. But yeah, you're, this East is going to be very tough this year. So definitely no guarantees for the Islanders either. I would probably say they are a wild card just because of with the experience, but it's not going to be easy. And then we move on to the New York Rangers who... They didn't do much. Minor improvements. Trade out Ryan Strom. God. Yep. Good um, the fact that Anaheim gave that guy a five-year deal was so abysmal. And they bring in Vincent Trocek, who is a massive upgrade, especially in the face-off circle. They need that. They didn't have any face-off wins. It was weird because I believe the only team that did worse than them in the regular season in face-off percentage was the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Lightning were beating them in conference finals. You saw it against Carolina, and you even saw it against Pittsburgh. They could not win a face-off, especially on penalty kills. They were getting clobbered in the face-off circle. It's been an issue for them the last couple of years because Mika is not the greatest face-off win percentage guy. Ito, I don't think, is strong enough to win a, against a tough guy. And then you got the fourth line, which they would try to probably throw a Goudreau out there. Project's one of the better face-off win percentage guys in the league. And he's a really good penalty killer as well. He's an energizer. So for the line with him, Panarin, and Kraftsov, Trocek and Panarin have been fine. I'm deeply concerned about Kraftsov. This guy has shown me nothing, and he was having a hissy fit last year with this team. So now they're giving him an opportunity to have the second line, and he's not taking it. And what sucks is, they're going to have to break up the kid line. And that would be a disaster if they do that, because Kako, Lafreniere, and Hito have been tremendous this preseason. They were tremendous in the postseason. Galan said in his press card today, he goes, I know if I break up the kid line, you guys are going to write about it. He might not have a choice. That's the issue. And they're still trying to find their first line right winger with Kreider and Zibanejad. It sounds like a blast from the past is going to be the guy that gets the job in Jimmy VC. He's had a killer preseason. He has really had great chemistry with Mika and Kreider so far. They tried to give it the Blay. Blay didn't take advantage of it. 
and it could be effects from the injury. It could just be as it played hockey in almost a year. But it sounds like Blade's going to probably be on the fourth line. Which is more I would, style. I'd probably say he'll be there with Goudreau and then one of these minor leaguers. I don't think Reeves is going to get as much time as people think he is. Personally, I wouldn't have even accepted his option. I would have just let him walk and just brought back Tyler Mott and just let Mott be on the fourth line with Blay and Goudreau. That would have been a better decision. I thought that was a really poor decision by Chris Drury there. But I can't kill Drury for what he's done so far. His first year as GM, the team gets to the conference final. And then, of course, you have Shesterkin. I called him Shesterkin the other night because he had the poops. Oh. Uh, for this in the preseason. <laughs> but I don't know if he can be better than what he was last year. I mean, what he did last year was absolutely incredible. Now, look, we said that about Lundqvist. Can Lundqvist be better? Lundqvist got better every year. I blamed him in the Pittsburgh series, very much so. And I got yelled at by people. I'm sorry, but I'm not giving up shots from the blue line against third pair defensemen in the first round. That's what happened. I'm not going to fault him in the Tampa series. He did everything he could to win. Pittsburgh series, he was awful. The Carolina series, that was the get-right series for him. And the Tampa series, he was superb. He did everything he possibly could to win that series. Vasilevsky woke up, and the Rangers just didn't have any momentum. They were getting outside every game, like 37 to 21. I think the defense still has to be a little bit better in front of him. I think Galan has to be more cognizant of the ice time with his players. You could tell when Adam Fox plays too much ice time, it drains on him, and he gets exhausted down the stretch. You definitely saw that some of the Carolina games last year. Absolutely. Galan has has to be more cognizant of that. He can't be running these guys out every night 30 minutes. Jacob Truba being named captain was shocking because, quite frankly, he's one of the reasons I think they lost that series to Tampa last year. Yeah, they he had wasn't good momentum And he did the penalty. It cost him the game, and it cost him that gave momentum to Tampa, and it cost him the series. But the players voted on it. That's who Gallant and Drew repicked. The players were all accepting of it. And the third pair defense pair is going to be interesting. They didn't get a vet, which, by the way, I'm totally fine with. Good riddance, saying, Patrick Nemeth. Yeah, I know. Between Jack Johnson, Patrick Nemeth, I'm so tired of them bringing in these crappy vets. Enough. Let the good players play. Let Zach Jones play. With yes, Schneider. that's the one I really want. Because I think he, he still has some good upside. Like, it, it's almost like enough already. Because what it does is when you put in Jack Johnson or you put in a Patrick Nemeth, it completely slows down Schneider's game. And when Schneider, you're expecting Schneider to do everything. And he's mm-hmm. a kid. The one that I think you were talking about the ice time. That's the one I think if he could take a bigger leap this year, he's going to balance that ice time. Well, out that's why they traded Nils. They got a nice really return back for Nils yeah. Lundqvist. They got a first round pick back for him. He's not a proven player in the NHL. And when yeah. he did play in the NHL for a little bit, he wasn't great. But again, you believe that. I think Keandre Miller is going to take a next step. Speedy, what are your thoughts on how you think the Rangers will be this year? Are they still a Stanley Cup contender? Absolutely, they are. I think when you look at a case of the Rangers' depth is still very strong. Now, you're right. The face-offs are still going to be a bit of an issue. Now, Trocek can't play all four lines on the face-off circle. So, again, you're going to have to deal with trying to get other center depth, too, which is why I was hoping that the scenario for me, I was hoping they would still be able to keep Cop, too, and pay Trocek. And even if they let Stroman Vitrano walk, I wasn't really caring. Well, I knew they were leaving anyway. Yeah, at least if they could balance that out, that would have been more ideal. But the wing depth is still very strong. I agree with you on Kratzov. I don't know what's going on. Anthony Scultori or forever Blue Shirts guest of the show last week was mentioning that he says he's like playing internationally a lot of the time, sometimes playing back in Russia, back here, and doesn't know what's going on with him. And he really does not want him to play. And at this point, I don't really want to. And either Lafreniere's taking enough of a leap where I could trust him to maybe get out in that top six, Capo Caco. That's my point. You're breaking up arguably your best line. That's the dilemma that Gallant's going to have. Do you break up the line and have them play with better players? Do you give them more minutes, even though they're considered a quote unquote third line? Or you have the same case where Trocek was in Carolina. Trocek, 
you brought in for all this money, is he going to play still third line type minutes with balancing out the veterans too? Because you want to well, play. He's going to play Strom. He's a better version of Ryan Strom. He's a much better version of Strom because he hits, yeah. he wins faceoffs, and will actually put the puck on the net, unlike Mr. Ryan Strom. They literally are handing this job to Kravtsov. Yeah, He's not doing which, anything with it, and all he did was complain and moan and cry and just be a nag about this the whole thing and now you're getting an opportunity to play with Trocek and Panarin I don't get it yeah I'm with you're you you're getting handed the job dude and you're not taking advantage of it and all you did was complain last year yeah I'm with you on that because Kratzoff he really... watched Panarin non-stop after practice yeah. all the time he's been on video yeah and again I don't know what he's really big time proven in order to make it work where he's going to like just be so deserving of this right away with the way the kid line played in the playoffs last year the way that the Rangers still were able to get a lot of depth that they were able to hold on to Rangers third and fourth lines in the playoffs too with the veterans also were a big helpful part too and we'll see if they're able to make that kind of magic work I should have brought Mott back really, I was, it was not happy I mean it would have been Mott, Goudreau and Blay on that fourth right. line and Goudreau's really already nice. hurt now too which is not ideal but well he came back to the day they were labeling it as week to week it just seems like the right wing position is such a weak spot for them because they don't have a set right winger on the first line they don't have a set right winger on the second line so it's like where do we go from here do we have to break up do we have to put Kako on this because Kako's having a really good preseason with Lafreniere and Guido right now. If you want to put VC on the first line with Kreider and Zabana and Jad, fine. Vitrano thrived with those two. So if that can happen, then go with it. The defense. I think it'll be a little bit younger presence this year now because I expect Keandre Miller to also get more minutes too and Braden Schneider. And I think when you look at the way that's balanced out with the second and third pairing, because Fox and Lindgren will stay together and then they're going to make sure that these guys get more playing time. But I'm kind of with you on Galat. No matter if it's the pairing is labeled as two or three. I just want them to get more playing time to show their speed on the ice because Schneider's skating is very good too. And his offense even was very impressive too for a guy I thought that was going to be a little more defensive. I'll say this, it depends on one guy, Igor Shesterkin. He plays well, they have a shot. Mediocre, they're going to be a wild card team or maybe might not even make the playoffs. When we come back, a little bit of an issue for the defending NBA champions. Wow, we're talking about a punch that shook everybody on Twitter. Man, oh man, we'll talk all about that when we get back. And we're going to get into a little bit of some crunch time. It's been a while for me since this has happened. So we're going to get into all that when we're back right here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. Here on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am Josh Silbert, filling in this week for Harold Marks, my co-host, Mr. Speedy Petey. All right, Speedy, so it's crazy. You would think when you're a defending champion, everything's happy, you're excited, you're fun, you, get, you see your teammates again. Hey, how you doing? How was your offseason? It was great. Yada, yada, yada. That didn't happen. No, Draymond Green decided to sucker punch Jordan Poole right in the face. If you didn't see the video, it's all over the place. I mean, the guy got mauled. Head smacked. Literally, the back of, like, the wall. And he went down. And now they're, like, going to discipline Green. But this has been the problem with Draymond Green for a long time. He's a guy that is hostile. He gets in your face. He talks trash. And he doesn't know when to shut up. I don't know what they were saying to each other. But, like, it was so, like, nonchalant. It was all of a sudden they're just, like, you see Green from afar. He's talking, talking, talking. And then he just goes over to Jordan Poole and just goes, wham! Right. And, again, you could tell the size difference, too. Draymond Green's. Oh, my God. Small for his position. But Jordan Poole's a smaller guard. Like, Draymond Green's, like, 40, 50 pounds bigger than him. 
No, of course. This is supposed to be a happy time. Errol's probably thrilled about this because he hates the Warriors. Oh, so. yeah. He can't stand Draymond Green. He can't stand the Warriors. So I'm sure that... I hate Draymond Green. I never like Draymond But again, Green. yeah, you, you mentioned it with the reputation, too. I've compared Draymond Green to Vontaze Perfect for a while. I said that a long time ago. Good he's players, great. valuable he's... players. But once the reputation catches up to you, you're going to keep getting in trouble. And you're going to get... Yeah, no, trouble. it was so random. It was like one minute they're playing ball. They're just standing. And the next minute, he just walks over to pull and just swaled him so hard in the face. It was crazy. But all right, Speedy, let's get to a segment that I haven't done in a very, very, very long time. That is... Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Alright. Yeah, there you go. So, we're going to, since you're on the show now, we're going to start with your football team. We'll open up Crunch Time. Your college football team made a coaching change last week. Paul Christ is gone. Jim Leonard, former Jet taking over. Buy or sell. He will be their head coach longer after this season. Bye. I think this was what Leonard was groomed for. He's somebody that not even just in the college ranks, but NFL teams have gone after him as well. And he wasn't a bad football player either. He was one of my favorite players on those Jet Rex Ryan teams. I like the approach of what they're doing. Now listen, they're probably going to still interview other people. I think they're saying in the guy from Kansas, stuff Leopold like that. Team. But I think this is prime for Leonard to take over. I thought they had to make the change after that disaster at home against Illinois. I know everybody has a lot of respect for Paul Christ. I do too, but it was time. College football to me, there's only, with the way it's marketed and built, I only see like six teams and the rest are just there. It's Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, USC. And then after that, it's everybody else because right. of all the booster stuff and everything. It's, you can't compete with that. So, right. college football is a mess right now. Yes, and that's why I'm going to buy it too. I think you're looking at a case where he was having trouble recruiting because of that too. And with Wisconsin, a cold weather state as it is, you're going to have some disadvantages. So get a guy that's a little more reputable with that kind of thing. Plus, I think his style is really getting outdated. It's much more. Wisconsin's going to be now. irrelevant for the next few years. His style was very running and defense oriented, which is not really the wave of football in general, NFL or college. So I'm also going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. Neither the Astros or the Braves return to the World Series. I'm going to sell that because that is my World Series. Uh-huh. <laughs> Both of them go back. Crazy. All right. I got Astros Braves again. I think the Braves are winning it again. I had this argument with Errol the other day. He said, I don't think so. He thinks the Cardinals. He likes the Cardinals. But the Cardinals did yesterday. That was a mitigated disaster. I'm going to sell that. Now, I will say what will hold them up. For me, it's a matter of when will Strider come back because they need Strider in that rotation. How well can Canley Jansen be? And they're getting by with Arcia right now because Grisham has hit a wall. They need Ozzy Albies back. Yeah. If you get Albies back, there's no letdown in that lineup. So I'm going to sell it as well. I, I have the Astros going back as well. In the American League, I don't know if there is as much depth that you can really trust because there's a lot of flawed teams. I like Seattle if they could find a little bit of the experience, but that's really the only one that maybe could stop them when it comes to those wildcard teams right now. The Blue Jays' bullpen's a little iffy. The Guardians' and Rays' offenses, both are not very good right now. Like, the Rays are a team that's played the Astros well in the past, but I just don't trust it this year. I am going to sell it as well. Buy or sell. Both Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray in their matchup this week have 200-plus yards passing and 50-plus yards rushing. I love like Jalen Hurts, you know how I feel about Kyler Murray. I was ridiculed by you and Arrow a couple years ago, calling him a bum. You both screamed your heads off at me. I'll buy it. To me, I'm going to buy it. Now, Philly's defense has gotten really is good, but I don't think it's perfect. Kyler Murray, I don't know what he is at this point. Jalen Hurts gets better every year, man. He did it at Alabama. He got better at Oklahoma. And he's gotten better in the NFL. You give the guy weapons like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Sorry, I know that's a sensitive name to bring up to you, Speedy, because <laughs> it's Adam, give Nick Sirianni credit. After his ridiculously weird press conference, 
And some of the stuff that he said that about the defense saying you need to ask the defensive coaches about that. And I was like, do you not watch the defensive tape? And I made fun of him about it. They've been good. But I'll buy it, though. I think he'll just reach it. Murray Hurts on that way about Murray, I think, will just reach it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think, actually, Murray matches up well with this Eagles defense, the way they're structured, though, too, because they're a base defense. They didn't really change much from when Jim Schwartz was there. And the personnel on the edges is still not great yet with the injury to Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham getting older. They still haven't really found that yet. So I think Kyler Murray will end up running well in this game. And I think the offense, yeah, well, it has been kind of up and down for Arizona. They still have the ability to do the air raid concepts to make it work. Jalen Hurts definitely will. He's playing like an MVP candidate so far this year. I will give the Cardinals defense some credit in this sense, though. They've done very well against some top receivers this year. Devontae Adams, they limited to just 12 yards. And Cooper Cup, they will contain pretty well, even though they lost that game. I will say it'll be a little harder than expected, but I'm going to buy it as well. All right, back to college football. Bryce Young has a shoulder injury. Buy or sell, that will cost him being a Heisman finalist, even if he doesn't end up playing performance-wise. I think it will definitely cost him. The thing about Young is he has a nice arm talent. I like the kid from Kentucky, the quarterback. Levis, yeah. That, yeah, that kid looks like he's in the lead right now for this. And I think it is going to hurt him, so I'll buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. You also look at a case of Caleb Williams at USC as a guy that definitely has been very consistent. Uh, CJ Stroud, obviously the big name at Ohio State, too. Another one not to sleep on, too, because I know they're a little better in the Big 12, but the defense in the Big 12 still being, like, uh, not great, is uh, Spencer Sanders out of Oklahoma State's had a very yes. nice year, too. And if Oklahoma State gets wins the Big 12 this year, I mean, that could definitely be credentials to look at, too. Bryce Young, Alabama still has a good team around him. And if Nick Saban says, all right, we can run the ball with Jameer Gibbs for a week and play defense, Bryce Young's stats, that might be hindered in that kind of thing. I think he should be able to play in the next couple of weeks anyway. But, yeah, he, I think he'll be limited in that sense. I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Two teams with buys will lose in the next round in the LDS. I'm only going to say one, and I think the one team that's going to be difficult, I think the one team that's going to struggle is the Dodgers, and I think it's going to be the Mets that do beat them. People are underestimating the week off and how it hinders on teams. It does. It hinders. When you don't play competitive baseball for a week, that's hard. Really hard to do. So, to me, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I actually think the Dodgers I agree with you on, but I actually could see the Braves too. If the Cardinals are able to come out of that series, which I think the Braves are two things that are different. One, the way they won last year, is it like obtainable to be able to do it again? Because they have a lot of new players all at once type thing. Sometimes that doesn't work a second year in a row. And two, I've always been under the impression of the too hot thing. Like you were saying, like all the rest, like the Braves were just so scorching hot and I think all the, all the time off will hurt them too. Just like the Dodgers too. The Dodgers will all the pitching injuries too I agree with you on right now I'm a little worried about them so I think it's actually both National League teams I'm gonna buy it I think it'll be conventional in the American League all right one basketball one one of Draymond Green or Jordan Poole will not be Warriors next season I'd sell that they'll both be there you can't get rid of them I don't know who's taking Green but Jordan Poole is very valuable to this team Poole to me is more valuable than Green I agree with you. I, I think they'll overpay to keep Draymond Green because he's not happy with his contract, but he's like too valuable to that to the intensity factor, even though he's not overly skilled. And Jordan Poole is becoming their second best player. I think he's like, Clay Thompson's obviously the other quote unquote splash brother, but I think Jordan Poole's been a better scorer and the like, creator of his own shot recently. I'm gonna sell it. Somebody other than Chris Kreider will lead the Rangers in scoring goals this year. The only guy that could challenge him is probably Mika, unless somebody has a massive year ahead of them, which we don't know about. Jimmy VC. <laughs> No, no, just kidding. I don't think so. I'm going to sell that. I think Kreider is their goal scorer. That's essentially what he does in place defense. So to me, I think it is going to be Kreider. I would sell that. I think yeah. Kreider's 
Rooney and goal scorer again. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think you saw what Panarin was as a passer last year too, and I think that really fits what Gallant likes to do. Mika, the same kind of thing. Kreider's a good passer too. Like I think his vision on the ice is very good, and that was the way he was his whole career before that, but now he's become more of a sniper in this offense too. So I'm going to sell it for this year. Again, will it be a long-term trajectory? I don't know, but for this year I'm going to sell it as well. Two more football ones. Both Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey will have five-plus catches and 100-plus yards. I'm going to sell it. I see Kelsey does get the five catches. I don't think Adams does. I don't. I don't. I'm thinking the same way. The Chiefs defense has been very impressive so far with those young defensive pieces. And give them credit where credit is due. Andy Reid doing his thing. Never a doubt. Never an issue. And I'm wondering if Tyreek Hill is concerned about this whole thing going forward with the Tua thing. Did he regret doing it with Kansas City? But Chaboni got his money. He's not worried because apparently Tua is more accurate for whatever reason. But okay. According to my brother, Tua should have a longer apology line for him than the Queen of England should take that for what it is he's a dolphin uh, no, last one uh both austin eckler and nick chubb will have 100 plus yards rushing in their matchup this week chubb will i don't know if echo book is garrett's back because both is not playing for the chargers so that's easy for chubb i'll sell it i can't see two guys getting 100 yards I'm actually going to buy Brown's interior actually hasn't been as good this year. It's not been as good, and I totally agree with you on that, but boy, Garrett being back is a massive get. I also think that Justin Herbert still being kind of hurt, Keenan Allen still being kind of hurt, too. They're going to try to emphasize Ah, you little cortisone that thing. Rip him up. Let's go. I'm talking about game planning, so I think they'll uh, put an emphasis on it more. Plus, again, I think they're going to try to not keep their defense on the field worn out too much either with all the injuries they have. So I think there'll be a little bit more of a ball control. They were able to be able to have luxury against the Texans passing last week. I don't think they'll get that same kind of luxury with the Browns. Their secondary is going to have to wake up at some point, too. So I think they will run the ball. So I'm going to disagree with you on the final one. I will buy it. And that's it for our show. That's all. I love filling in this week. Had a lot of fun. I love being back on the Weekend Crunch every now and then. Thank you, Speedy, for letting me on this week. Enjoy the game, Josh. Thanks, Speedy. And we will talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. Have a great weekend, everybody.